Blog Talk Radio. We will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter at goforkid, G-O-F-O. R I T G A N T. That's G O F O R I T G A N T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Atlanta Hawks forward Damari Carroll and his Atlanta Hawks gave the Indiana Pacers fits in that first round, took them to seven games in a tough series. I thought the Hawks let one get away. I thought they had every chance and every opportunity to win that series. They just couldn't do it. But we're going to talk to Damari Carroll. About that. Also, we're going to be joined by the newest member of the College Football Hall of Fame, Willie Rofe. Get his thoughts on making it to the College Football Hall of Fame. I mean, he's in the NFL Hall of Fame, he's in the Louisiana Hall of Fame, Arkansas Hall of Fame, Saints Ring of Honor. Now he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Only thing that's left, I guess, is the Chiefs uh, Ring of Honor, but we're going to talk to Willie about that. And also, Agent Craig Doman will be joining us. Uh, talk to him about the about the NFL draft. Also get his take on the uh, lawsuit filed by Jim McMahon, led by players like Jim McMahon and Richard Jen against the NFL, uh, in terms of pain pills and pain medication, how it was administered during their playing days. We're going to talk to uh, Craig Doman about that. So great show lined up for you today. Damari Carroll will be joining us at around 140, Willie Rofe at 110, and Craig Doman at 205. So make sure you stick around. Great show lined up. I want to start in the NBA. Uh, games three of the Eastern Conference playoffs, Eastern Conference finals, get started today. Indiana and Miami. This series is tied at one. Indiana fought all season long to get that home court advantage. They lost it just like that. The Miami Heat now have home court advantage. And fortunately for the Indiana Pacers, they will have the services of Paul George there was a little concern there after he said he blacked out. He said he blacked out, but he has been cleared to play the Miami Heat tonight, and that's huge. Obviously, you can't expect to win in Miami or win this series without having the services of Paul George, but Paul George will be back for the Indiana Pacers tonight, and that's huge. That's huge. That's absolutely huge, and that's going to be big for the Indiana Pacers. But the bottom line, and looking at this series, I mean, Game one, you saw game one, Indiana came out and they blitzed the Miami Heat. They blitzed the Miami Heat, and they got production from David West. They got production from George Hill. They got production uh, from Roy Hibbert. I mean, they got production out of the guys they needed to get production from, Paul George as well. So they got the necessary production that they needed in, in that particular game, and they went out and they blitzed the Heat in game one. 
And, and I think game one could have been a, a byproduct of rust, or, you know, the heat having the time off that they had, and Indiana already in the flow, already been playing. So game one to me could have been a byproduct of rust. But you look at uh, game two, the Miami Heat, and here's the thing. You knew that the Miami Heat were not going to go down 0-2. I mean, you you just knew that the Heat weren't going to go down 0-2. You had a feeling. I mean, I had a feeling. I mean, not a feeling. I knew that there was going to be a split in the first two games. I knew there was going to be a split in the first two games. And it was a split in the first two games, just like I knew, just like I saw. I mean, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. And you look at you look at the differences. I, I think from game one to game two, one of the differences is David West. I mean, game one, David West, nineteen and seven. He comes back in game two, struggles from the field, five for sixteen, only ten points. Paul George, another guy, another big guy for. The Indiana Pacers. Game one, 24 and 7. Game two, 4 for 16, only 14 points. So he struggles in game two. Two of your better players. Two of your better players, David Weston and, and Paul George, and they struggle in game one. So you, you got to, obviously, that has to get better. That has to get better if you want to win this series. But how about Lance Stevenson? I mean, Lance Stevenson was big. In game two for the Indiana Pacers, and big game one as well. He, he's coming to play, talking a little noise to Dwayne Wade, and he's backing that noise up. I mean, 25 in game two, 17 in game one. He's backing the noise up that he's talking. He's backing it up. And he came up big for the Indiana Pacers. But you, you knew that the Miami Heat and turnovers were big. Turnovers were big in game two. I mean, you can't turn the ball over the way the Indiana Pacers did late in that ball game and expect to win. You just can't do it. You just can't do it against a Heat team that thrives off of transition basketball. They thrive off of being out in the open court. They thrive off that. So you can't turn the basketball over. You cannot do that. But anyway, Obviously, Paul George needs to be better than four for 16 from the field. Obviously, David West needs to be better than five for 16 from the field. They've got to be better than that if they want to win in Miami, at least take one in Miami. You're not looking to take two. You Obviously, you want two. You want to win every game that you play, but the goal is to get one. The goal is to get that one. I think they can get that one. I really think they can get that one. But, again, you need the production from your big guys the David West, the Paul George. You need those guys to shoot a little better than they did in game number two. You need that. And that's what, we'll see what happens tonight. But obviously the Miami Heat, we all know what they're about. We, we all know who they are. And if they – Chris Bosh, I mean, so far in this series, hasn't played his best basketball. And the Miami Heat really haven't played their best basketball in the first two games of this series. And so, obviously, I think if the Miami Heat want to keep going and ultimately win this series, Bosch has to be better than averaging nine points per game. I mean, he's averaging nine points of five boards a game. He's got to be better than that. He's got to be better than that if the Miami Heat want to win this series. He's got to be better than that, and I expect him to be better than that. But Dwayne Wade has been great in this series. 
I mean, 27 in game one, 23 in game two. He's been solid in this series. And, and you see why it was a smart move by the Miami Heat to sit this guy down as many, as many times as they did throughout the course of the season. A wise move by the Heat to sit him down and, and rest him throughout points of this season. That was a wise move. And it's paying dividends in these playoffs. And it's, more importantly, it's paying dividends in this Eastern Conference Finals because, let's be honest, more so with the Heat than the Pacers, the talk was with the Miami Heat, Indiana, Indiana and Miami, Indiana and Miami. And uh, you, you thought for a moment that the Indiana Pacers wouldn't be a part of that discussion. You thought at, at one point there that Damari Carroll and the Atlanta Hawks, who will be joining us in this, today's show, you thought Damari Carroll and the Atlanta Hawks would, would have beaten the, uh, the Indiana Pacers. But Indiana, the toughness that they showed, the grit that they showed, and the playmaking ability that they showed late in ball games to get them to this point and, and to give to get them, you know, an opportunity to get to the NBA Finals. We'll see if they can get past the Heat. Again, I had the Miami Heat winning this thing in six, and I'm going to stick by that after the first two games. I want to go now to the Western Conference Finals, and big news out of the Western Conference Finals, we may see the return of Serge Ibaka, who went from out in these playoffs to now day-to-day. So apparently the, the cast is healing a lot better than they thought it would. The swelling is going down a lot better than they thought it would. And, and so now we may see Serge Ibaka at some point in this series. Now the question I have is, I mean, with the calf and everything, it's gonna, it, there's always that possibility of re-injuring it. And if you do that, now you have some problems. If you do that, you have some problems. So even if he goes out on the basketball court, you wonder what he'll have. You wonder how much he can actually give you. And obviously you're missing what he can bring to the table on the defensive end. I mean, the Spurs were able to to have their way in games one and two on the offensive side of the ball. They were able to get into the lane and were able to finish in and around the basket. I mean, they've had a lot of success with that, a lot of success. And the numbers speak to that. You look at during the regular season with Serge Ibaka, the Thunder allowed 93 points per 100 possessions. Now, games one and two, with Serge Ibaka on the sidelines now, guess what? 93 goes to 123.4 So per 100 possessions. So that's a 30-point jump. That's a 30-point jump. The San Antonio Spurs obviously can score the basketball, and with the way our OKC is playing and without the service of Serge Ibaka, they're proving that in this series. They're getting into the lane, and they're scoring the basketball pretty much at will. At will. And so you look at this. You look at this. I mean, if Serge Ibaka comes back, okay, how much will he have? How much will Serge have if he comes back? How much? I don't know. How much will he have? I never heard of calf before, so I don't know. But, but obviously 
there was talk he could be out for this series, and now there's talk that he's day, now he's day to day. But again, I you wonder what he'll have, and I guess anything that he may have is better than what you're throwing out there. Obviously, you're missing his shot blocking ability. Obviously, you're missing the points that he brings to the table. He's averaged 12 points in these playoffs, but you're missing that. You're not you don't have that any longer. And Durant and Westbrook are, it just have to. I mean, they scored the bulk of the points anyway, but now they have to do even more. And you're playing the San Antonio Spurs. You're not playing a, 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 you're not playing the Memphis Grizzlies. You're not playing any other team. You're playing the San Antonio Spurs. So this is a different animal. The whole, I mean, this is not even the Clippers. This is the San Antonio Spurs. So you're going to need the services of Serge Ibaka and what he has. I'm not sure, but you need something. And I think. OKC fans need to also recognize that James Harden is walking through that door. And last time they were down 2-0 against the San Antonio Spurs, James Harden was a member of OKC, and we know what he brings to the table. Switching gears now, we're going to bring in a guy who not only is he in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not only is he in the Arkansas and Louisiana Halls of Fame, but also this man has recently – recently, recently has been elected and selected to go into the College Football Hall of Fame. Let's bring him in now, Hall of Famer, the one, the only, Willie Rofe. Willie. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Good for, good for having me. I'm glad to be on. Willie, I mean, a lot of great news for you this week. What was your initial reaction when you found out that you were going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame? Man, I, I was ecstatic. Um, I had been te- te- uh, texting Archie Manning, and uh, I didn't realize he was that high up on the committee about did I, did, did I get in, and, uh, and he couldn't say anything to me like a day or two prior. And, uh, you know, I, I just knew how important it was for a lot of my teammates and a, and a, and a lot of my um, a lot of people I played with and my coaching staff that was at Tech and um, when I got the word that I got in that Thursday morning, Archie texted me and I was I was just so excited to get in because you know it wouldn't be any NFL Hall of Fame or um, everything that I achieved if I didn't go down to Louisiana Tech and get get to get the guidance and everything. The structure and, and grow up down there, you know, in that environment, and uh, really learn how to play football on a Division One level. And one thing good about going to some of the smaller schools is you play against a lot of some of the bigger schools. But once you get registered and they need you to play, uh, you got to get out there and play. So you got kind of, you know, trial by error, to so to speak. But you learn how to develop into a football player, playing in some of those tough environments and getting thrown into the fire at a young age. Now, I heard you say that you were honored. Obviously, this is an honor to go into the College Football Hall of Fame, but you were also honored to go in at the same time with Derek Thomas, former Chiefs great, former Alabama great. Talk about going into the College Hall with Derek Thomas. Well, Derek and I had a lot of history together. Neil Smith used to live around the corner for me in, in, in uh, New Orleans. His mother did. So they would come in town, and I would see Derek. And I played against him in 94. And when I was at training camp, I used to practice against him a lot. So we had a lot of respect for each other. And, um, 
You know, it was, it was such an honor. You know, me to, when I went to Kansas City, I didn't have my own foundation. So when I every every week I I, I bought tickets for Derek Thomas Academy uh, kids to go to to all the games, uh, all the home games. So you know, it's real special to me. You know, going to Kansas City and, and having a lot to do with his third long foundation when I got there, and you know, uh, uh, the respect that I have for him. And I called his mama yesterday in Miami mm-hmm. and just told her how, how, how excited I was. Even after Derek passed away, his mother would come out there to the state to the stadium, some games, and would bring food for the players uh, outside the locker room. So you know, she was just a real. She's still a real special lady. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing her. And, you know, it's ironic that Derek was such an outstanding player at Alabama, you know, 27 sacks in, in, in senior year. And, uh, you know, my breakout game was against Alabama in 92. Right. So, uh, you know, me and Alabama and him in the history, you know, playing against each other and then me going to Kansas City after he uh, after he passed away, uh, you know, like I said, it's very special, and, and uh, his, his, you know, his mama and his family have a special place in my heart. Now, Willie, obviously this might be hard to answer, but back in 1993 when your college career was over at Louisiana Tech, did you have any inkling, any idea that, man, I just had a Hall of Fame college career? No, I did. I, you know what? I had no idea. I, I, I knew, I, you know, for me to be at Tech and be on an independent football team, on a five and six football team, and be an All-American, you know, I, I knew that that was pretty special. I didn't go to the big schools. So, you know, when you're All-American on a team that had a losing record, you know, and, and played play some tough, you know, some tough teams, but, you know, to be an All-American, you know, the first All-American from Tech to after we went Division One, you know, I, I thought that was a high honor. But you know, to, to like I said, to be to be going in the College Football Hall of Fame, um, you know, representing Tech, and I think Bradshaw and Fred Dean may be in also. But at that time, the program was Division Two. Uh, for me to be, you know, the first Division One player going in, uh, uh, like it's very very special. I, I put that up there with the NFL Hall of Fame because. That's the, you know out of out of what they say five million play guys that have played football, you know only a thousand have gotten in there. So uh, I think this is a this is pretty high up there, Paul. We're talking to college, the newest member and college football inductee Willie Rofe. And and Willie, I mean, you know you're in Arkansas, you're in Louisiana, you're in the college, you're in the football halls halls of fame, you're in the Saints Ring of Honor. What's next? I mean, what else can you do? I mean, what else? Well, I mean, I mean, I could get in the Chiefs ring on one day, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I've only played four four years there, but I had four productive years. I mean, if uh, you know, if, if they, uh, I know Priest Holmes is going in this year, and, and I blocked for a lot of those yards Priest had. I know he had 1,600 yards the year before I got there, but um, you know, maybe maybe one day if the Chiefs. Uh, consider me for the ring of honor, then I could be uh, in, in two football stadiums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, you know, you. you I'm not trying to get everything, career. but you know, Paul, you know, I mean, it, it would be nice. 
who knows? Maybe you could try to find a way to, to get yourself back on the on the field and, and get yourself a ring, get a Super Bowl ring. That's all that's <laughs> well, the Chiefs the Chief still on my rights, ball. So no, no, okay. it's not even football. But uh, <laughs> no, we, we, you know, I mean, Paul, you know, coming from Pineville, Arkansas, uh, uh, not not even that most recruited player on my own team uh, to uh, to 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 be able to. Uh, achieve what I achieved, you know, it just, like you said, it's just, it, it, you, you know, if you had told me that, you know, just playing in the NFL, you know, coming from Tech, not being a high pick, just making it to the NFL. Right. You know, it's something big, especially coming out of school at the time I did. But when you start talking about these Hall of Fames and all these Hall of Fame, I mean, I, I couldn't have, uh, you know, I couldn't even dreamed of this, but like like I said, it uh, it tells you you know what what can happen sometime when you put hard work, a lot of skill. Uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of blessing involved in this. Also, I don't think any of this is a uh, uh, you know I can't take it for granted that uh, you got some angels probably looking over you to help you get through some of this stuff. But uh, uh, you know it's it's, it's uh, you know it's, 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 it's I'm very very excited and very. Uh, very happy, and, and you know Tony Baselli was a guy I played against. Wesley Walls was a guy I played with in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I know the, the Damon Thomason, so uh, I talked to Wesley. I called Wesley and congratulated him because I know he was up for it too. So uh, it's it's gonna be a, it's a real good class. Let, let me ask you this: I mean, you, that game against Alabama uh, against John Copeland was that the game that that really put you on the map? Yeah, and it was more Eric Curry. I, I didn't play okay. against Copeland that much. Curry, Copeland was a D tackle. I played against okay. Curry most of the day, and uh, okay. I played. I had a real good game. It was Curry and Antonio London. They had a guy that was a third round pick to the Detroit Lions, uh, outside linebacker Antonio London on that team too. Mm-hmm. So, and then they had George Teague on that team, who was eventually a first round pick. So, uh, you know, they had three number ones on that team and. Uh, they had about six, seven guys drafted off that defense. But uh, that defense really carried them because at that time Alabama's offense was suspect. They had David Palmer, who was a kick returner, who got drafted by uh, the Minnesota Vikings, and he was a real good return guy. But uh, they didn't score a lot of points. So that defense carried them to an undefeated season. It was unbelievable how well they played that year. What was that? Those type of games, being that you came from and played at a small school, when you played the Alabamas of the world, was that almost like a Super Bowl like for you, like you know, big bowl game like for you? That every time we went to Alabama, that well, that was the only time we played at Auburn a couple of times, South Carolina. That was like our big game. That was like our bowl. We wanted to go in there and try to prove some. Those were. You know, big like you said, big games. You know, we played Southern Miss at home and there, and we beat Tulsa. We played Tulsa, but you when you go went to South Carolina, you know, really Alabama and Auburn. I mean, you know, looking at Pat Dye Jr., uh, Coach Stallings across the sideline, and and uh, all the good great players they had. Uh, you know, it was uh, like you said that was that was. You know, that once and twice a year we were going to play against those big schools. We played Florida Emmons last year, my redshirt freshman year. Uh, those, like you said, that we would get up 
to try to compete in those in those big environments. We're talking to college football Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe. Well, I got to ask you this now: uh, lawsuit filed today, well, not today, well, this week, uh, by some players against the NFL, including Richard Dent, including Jim McMahon, uh, and their use of pain pills and how it was administered to them throughout the course of their playing career. Just your initial thoughts on this lawsuit. Uh, you know, you know. Even when I play, you know, they they tried to get you out on the field and would do stuff to get you on the field. Uh, but when a lot of these old timers played before before the nineties, before the collective bargaining agreement, you know, it, it was it, you know my my our deal was toward all, and I think a lot of people have heard um, uh, Marcellus Wiley talk about him, yeah. his kidney shutting down on him in the Vox. That we took, that was that we were prescribed, that was eventually taken off the market. That they say was harmful, uh, but uh, back then, it, you know, they it was even the cortisone, which they didn't give us a lot of cortisone shots. Some of the other stuff that they were giving guys was, uh, you know, I mean, they, I don't I don't know if they didn't understand, but you know, it just, you know, the long term effects, especially. Taking if you're doing these shots every week and doing mm-hmm. this stuff a lot, uh, you know it can cause a lot of damage later in life. And um, and I don't think guys understood what they were doing. And I don't think it was monitored. You know, in the seventies, eighties, you know, guys were doing whatever they could do to play football. In the sixties, they didn't really care. So uh, you know, people are, are a lot more aware of it now. They don't give toilet shots anymore. They'll give you the pills. But they don't get a shot like they used to give every week when I was playing. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, it's changing. But I think uh, I don't know. This, this is it's a tough, it's a tough lawsuit. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, it's like when this was over. When's the next one gonna come? Because it's right. uh, you know, football is it's the big sport. But uh, it's, it's a lot that goes with football after you're done when you don't know what you're doing to yourself. And here's my, I guess my only kind of my problem with it is like, at the end of the day, even if you probably knew the long term effects, and, and my thing is, um, you know, if you if you're taking you know various pills, there's a side effect to any drug that you take, you know what I mean. So my my thing is, as adults, you know that if you continually take something over a period of time, you know, and you abuse it on some level. There are going to be some kind of side effects. So my thing is, if those guys had to do it over again, I bet you that they probably would do it again. Yeah, they would do it again. I can tell you right now they would do it again. So, I mean, you know, at that time you're young, you don't know, you know, you're feeling, you're making you feel good, and you know, you don't realize you got you got a lot of life to live, a lot more life to live when you're done playing sports. So, you know, I mean, so it's a lot better now. Um, and, and I just hope most of the most of them are all right. And um, you know, it's just uh, it's a tough deal. So I mean, hopefully they get it handled and get it res- resolved. And I mean, obviously I never played football, but if I were, I mean, I think I would do the same thing. I mean, you know, a lot of times in life, it's it's sometimes 
quality over quantity in terms of you know how the li- how your life went, and you know if you were able to continue to play football and you had some long term effects. I mean, obviously that's not good, but you know you, you had a good run at it, and you know I mean I guess it comes to the territory on, on some level. But like you said, the interesting part is I mean you had a concussion lawsuit, you got this lawsuit. I mean, what is next? And, and at some point, you know, how does this affect the game moving forward? And, and will the game look different? moving forward, and then that's going to, well, it's already looking different on some level, but, you know, is it going to have, uh, is it going to even look more different than it already does moving forward? And I, I mean, that that should be interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know. With all these lawsuits, you know, something's got to give. We'll see. Something's got to give, and um, I don't know. Do you, do you just, uh, you know, this is what I'll say. Do you, do you go back and put all those guys you know, and really give them a few grand a month, give them some money every month so they can take care of themselves, you know, right. so you don't have all these lawsuits. This Either, either you're going to have to figure out, uh, and, you know, some of these guys pension, uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars a few, you know, 400 for a thousand. Do you, do you just put these guys, either they're going to sign a waiver and you give these guys a certain amount of money per month and you just say, look, we're going to give you a certain amount per month to help you with medical expenses, help you with stuff. You know, I don't know what their pension is because I don't think a lot of guys' pension are where, 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 where ours is now. So either they're mm-hmm. going to have to make it up to these guys by, by rate. If these guys played a certain amount of years to allocate a certain amount of money to them for how long they played. But, you know, for these guys to take care of medical bills or or or, or – Prescriptions, whatever they need, uh, uh, is, is an issue. Because I'm gonna tell you something, Paul. When you got the gout, or when you tell somebody you played in the football league ten years, or you're dealing with some medical conditions that a lot of athletes are dealing with, you're not. It's, your medical insurance is high. We don't. Mm-hmm. We're not dealing with normal medical insurance. These guys are either going if they if, if they can get insured, it's going to be eight, nine, hundred, a thousand dollars, or whatever. And then you got to pay for prescriptions. And if you don't have insurance, the prescriptions are way higher. So, right. you know, and, if, and you can't just go to the doctor. So there, there's a lot of issues here that it, it matters what age generation is all in this lawsuit. I'm pretty sure it goes back to guys that played a long time ago. And they're dealing with some issues because they can't get the coverage they, they need because they're not, they're not going to be able to get insured. Right. So all expenses right. are out of pocket. For sure. And that's where the I mean, issue comes in. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I, you know, for an average average guy, you know, you look at it, anybody, if you don't have medical insurance and, and God forbid something happens to you, you know, you're going to pay a lot of money out of pocket. A lot of people go bankrupt over medical bills. So, I mean, you know, like, it's tough. It's, it's definitely a tough situation, and you do feel for these guys because you, you know, whatever they're going through is obviously tough. And then they played a lot of years in football, and football is a tough sport. I mean, it is, and it takes a toll on your body. You know better than all of us. I mean, with the toll that it takes on your body. So, I mean, hopefully things will work out for these guys, and we'll see what happens with this lawsuit. I want to ask you this: NBA. What, what, what are you thinking? I mean, uh, OKC and San Antonio. San Antonio up two games to nothing. 
Uh, Serge Ibaka may, may not play. We'll see. He's now day-to-day. Before he was out, now he's day-to-day. I mean, last time they came back from 2-0 against the Spurs in the playoffs, James Harden was there. James Harden's walking through that door. So can the OKC win this series? I don't think they can at this point. Uh, like you said, what is Ibaka going to be able to do for them? Even if he can play, what's he going to be able to do? Are we looking at a Willis Reed type of deal, just him right. coming out That's there? True. I mean, I mean, I mean, what can Serge do effectively? And, you know, at this point, if it's just Westbrook, Westbrook basically it's this. Westbrook and Durant's got to beat us. They're not going to shoot the ball well every night. And even if they do, they don't have enough firepower to keep up with us because even if Duncan, as we saw, and Parker aren't scoring a lot, you got Kawhi Leonard, you got Danny Green that can eat up, you got so many different options. So you can't expect them to be able to play with them. They need another scoring option, and they don't have it. I mean, Fisher can't do it. Uh, you know, either one of the guys on the bench has got to step up and play big. Lamb or somebody else got to give him 20, and I don't see who they're going to get it from. Cephalosa is a defender. He he hasn't been playing, you know, scoring scoring that much. He used to score a little more a few years ago, I thought. But, you know, even with Ibaka trying to get out there, what is, like you said, what is he going to be able to give him? And even if he is out there, how productive can he be? And and I, I just don't think they have enough weapons to do, to to to, to uh, to compete with them, and I don't like like Barkley always says they're a jump shot shooting team. Eventually, yeah. those jump shots aren't going to fall, and we need somebody that can score back, score buckets, to penetrate and get to the hole. You're not going to stand around and shoot jump shots the whole game, and that's that's where uh, uh, to take his game to another level. Kevin Durant, he's going to have to put on a little more weight, and he needs to start posting up more. I mean, if he yeah. can post up a little more, uh, you know, that that would get people in foul trouble. That would probably help them out more. But I, I think we're looking at the Heat in San Antonio again, and uh, I think the Heat got their hands full this year. I would like to see the Heat three-peat. That hasn't been done in a while. But uh, this San Antonio team look, looks pretty strong, uh, and I know it's a different matchup with the Heat because they got other guys that can score. You got Ray Allen that can give you some points. You know, Wade, James, Bosch, you know, Batty, some of those guys can still give you some, some other options that can score that, that spreads out the balance other than LeBron and D-Wade. So, so uh, you know, that's going to be a good series. But, you know, Oklahoma City just, um, you know, they're a jump-shooting team, and, and that's not going to get it done with a team that's going inside killing you underneath all game. And you look at the way the Spurs are playing, they they do look like a team on a mission. And, you know, you talked about Miami. If Miami gets gets past Indiana, I think they will. And if San Antonio gets past OKC, and I think they will as well. If those two were to rematch, I mean, it, it would be interesting because I, the San Antonio Spurs are – and I know Serge Ibaka is not there, and that makes a difference. But San Antonio is really – I think if we looked at all four teams and said who's playing the best basketball, I think we'd have to say the San Antonio Spurs. Well, you would have to say San Antonio Spurs, but they got to knock the champs off. If if the, the San Antonio is playing the best team basketball, I will say this. But when you got LeBron James and Dwayne Wade 
They can step up. Like I said, Chris Bosh hadn't even done a lot. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where Chris Bosh turned into a three-point shooter, but I, I yeah. want to see him pick, pick and roll more. When he was doing that stuff last year, you remember this, against San Antonio, when he started picking and going to the hole, he's a lot more effective, and he can get people in foul trouble. I don't know why you got a 6'11 guy standing out here shooting, shooting, shooting threes because you want D-Wade and LeBron to be able to go to the lane. I want, I'll, in the next series, I need Bosh in the lane in the paint, getting somebody in some foul trouble. I need them at least penetrating sometimes to, you know, pick and roll, not not pick and pop all the time. But but like I said, it'll be interesting. The matchups are interesting. I mean, like I said, I would say San Antonio is the better team, but can they beat the Heat? The Heat is a deep, defensive-minded team, so it's going to be a little different when they play against the Heat compared to when they play against these Western Conference teams, Paul. Because the Heat are, are better Eastern Conference, more defensive-minded basketball. So we'll, 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 we'll be able to see. But like I said, Splitter's gotten better. Leonard's gotten better. Uh, mm-hmm. Danny Green can get hot. Um, you know, Tony, you know, I always got Tony Parker. Uh, uh, but we'll, we'll see. And, and we'll, you got to watch Tony Parker with his hamstring and this or that, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a battle. I mean, if, if they if they end up playing again in the series, it's going to go. It's going to be a six seven game series. So it's it's going to go. It's, they're going to go at it for a while. And and the Heat got real lucky last year. They were lucky to beat them last year. You're correct. They were real lucky. Ray Allen didn't hit that shot. They don't win that series. And and, and Popovich taking Duncan and some of the some of the stuff he did in that series as far as. Him taking certain people out, I didn't understand that either. And watching normally was in there in some of those games when he was really playing bad, he should have been on the bench. And also you look at it, I mean, reality is Ginobili hits that hits his free throws and Kawhi Leonard hits his free throws. Spurs win that game. You know, so, I mean, and then Ray Allen, obviously that incredible shot. I mean, that was a very incredible shot. But like you said, I mean, basically, I, I would agree. You know, the Heat were very, very almost lucky uh, that they won last year, and we'll see what happens if these two teams were to collide again. I hope it happens. I, I like to see it at this point because, uh, you know, especially with with Serge Ibaka, I don't even know what, uh, how OKC would match up against the Heat, and so I, I think it would. Uh, I would rather see, you know, San Antonio and the Miami here. But real quick on OKC, here's the thing. You know, when you, when you had a situation now. And, and this is why I hated the James Harden trade when it happened. I know the money situation was the money. But, you know, you just never know what can happen. And, you know, they had the guys necessary to win a title. I mean, with Harden, with, with Durant, and with Westbrook, and, of course, with Ibaka as well. And, and I know the money is the money. But you look at last year, Westbrook goes down. You look at this year, Ibaka goes down. There's no, my bottom line point is there's no guarantee in sports. So when you have an opportunity to go after it, you've got to go after it. Yeah, well, and, and, the, and the problem is, you know, you can't. He want, the problem with Harden, Harden I, he couldn't have stayed there. He wanted, he wanted a max deal. And they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't give him a max deal, Paul. So I mean, I mean, I don't know. They, they got, they, they got, a, they, they. I mean, Kawan Butler has been an excellent player. He's slowing down. Derek Fisher probably will be coaching after this year. D- 
They need a third option that can, that can consistently score the ball. And they, they, or they, or they, need, they need a low post guy that can score the ball. So that's something you got to address. And either you're going to pick up a veteran from, from less money or you're going to have to pick up, uh, do it through the draft. So, and I mean, I mean, Oklahoma City's drafted excellent. Some of those guys they got mm-hmm. over there, uh, Lamb and, and the guy from Baylor and other guy. And I like, I like the young kid, uh, uh, number 12, you know, with the gold tooth. I like him too. But, uh, they've done well, but they, they gotta get some more, somebody else that can take the load off. And like, like you said, Westbrook and Durant has gotta make guys better. They got, LeBron and those guys make people better. And, and San Antonio is a machine, but they don't make they don't make the players around them better, and they gotta distribute the ball and get their teammates involved. Michael Jordan didn't win rings till he got other guys involved that can help him get better, and 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 they gotta get guys and, and get better. For sure, and and I mean we'll we'll see what happens, but I, I think obviously it's going to be another year and another missed opportunity for OKC, and we'll wonder. What could happen? I mean, who knows? Maybe Kevin Durant at some point when he becomes a free agent may go elsewhere. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Willie, pleasure talking to you, man. Congratulations on everything. As always, let's do it again. Oh, yeah, and I'll be in New York at the December 8th and 9th at the Ward Office Story. So you have to come holler at me. I've never been. I've heard so much about that hotel. Uh, getting to stay there for two days, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Definitely. December, I'll come holler at you. All right. All right. Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famer, College Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe. Switching gears now and going back to the NBA now, we're, we're, we're going to bring in a guy who had a decent run for the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, the Atlanta Hawks were this close, this close, that you can't even see my hands, but they were this close to making it to the second round of the playoffs and beating the Indiana Pacers. This close. This close. This close. Can't see my hands, but this close. Let's bring him in now. Forward for the Atlanta Hawks, Damari Carroll. Damari, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, No problem. No problem. Damari, great run by you guys against the Pacers. You were pretty close to a huge upset. I mean, in game six, you were up five with three minutes to go. Ultimately, the Pacers will win that game, and ultimately they will win that series. I think you guys outplayed the Pacers. I really do. But do you think you guys let one slip away? Yeah, we did. Um, it was a tough loss. We, um, I think we played better than them the whole series. It was a good matchup for us. Um, we kind of played our style of basketball, and we kind of let it slip away. And, um, you know, you got to get Indiana credit. You know, they've been in that position before, and they um, they kept fighting. But at the same time, I think we done made a, we done made a good run, and I think it's only going to help us for next year. Now, going into that series, did you think you guys had a legitimate shot to beat the Pacers? Because you matched up well against them. Oh yeah, yeah. I think we had a great shot. I think uh, we, we've been we was playing. We've been dominating throughout the season. Um, and I knew in playoffs we had a great shot, but um, we just can't we just can't put it all together, man. It was a good run, but you know at the same time we got to learn from it and we we got to put ourselves in that position again. 
Now, I, I looked at the series and I saw how the Pacers, how they closed the games. And watching the way they closed out those games, I, I think there was a difference in experience and you saw that difference in experience. Did you think that was the case? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, we had a bunch of new guys, uh, first-time coach, uh, all new assistant coaches, and, you know, everything was new. And uh, a lot of people didn't expect us to be there, and I think we got there. And at the same time, inexperience kind of, you know, didn't help us any. So we just, you know, we got to learn from that. I think uh, we got a good group of guys. We bring a lot of key guys back, you know, Al Horford to be back. So I think, man, right. the sky's the limit for us. We're talking Atlanta Hawks forward Damari Carroll. And let's talk about Al Horford. He goes down in December. At that point in time, when, Al, when you lose Al Horford, I mean, what was the mindset of the team? Did you think the playoffs was still a shot for you guys? Did you think you guys had a shot to make the playoffs, even with Horford out? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we got a lot of good guys, man. A lot of guys people, you know, don't really know. Or when their name appears on the rosters, you really don't know. But I think uh, Payroll Antique, he did a great job for us. Elton Brand came in and did a great job for us. Even Gustavo did a great job until he got hurt. So um, I think, man, we just we got a lot of good guys in that system that, you know, Coach Bud brought from San Antonio has really helped everybody. And I think uh, he simplified a lot of the offense. And uh, I think it's helping everybody and helping everybody expand that game. Talk about Coach Budenhauser. How was it playing for him this year? Uh, it's great, man. You know, Coach Bud, he's like me. He's like a, a father to me. You know, he's uh, always in contact with me, always communicating with me. Uh, I actually talked to him yesterday. And, uh, you know, he, you don't have to build that type of relationship with too many NBA coaches in the league. And I think that's the beauty of me playing for Atlanta and playing for Coach Bud. You know, he's, I think he's the one that really helped my career take a big step, and um, I give him all the credit. Now, as we said, many didn't expect you guys to make the playoffs, but ultimately you made the playoffs. What does that do for this ball club moving forward? Uh, it just shows, I think it shows our fans and, and shows everybody around the league that, you know, we're a great team and we're building something here. This is the first year, and Coach Bud is building the system here. I think the guys understand that, you know, that was the first year and, and you know, we're growing from it. But uh, ultimately, I think we're building something here. Um, we're just trying to you know, turn our program into a winning program like the San Antonio Spurs. We're talking to Hawks forward Damari Carroll. And, uh, Damari, you look at you guys, and ultimately you would take the Pacers to seven games without Al Horford. You're getting Al Horford back next season. How close do you think you guys are away from becoming a, a contending team? Uh, I think we're kind of close. Um, a lot of people don't give us credit or, you know, call us underdogs, but, you know, we'll take that, you know, um, I think we want those teams, you know, we want to play some of our better basketball towards the end of the season, leading to the playoffs. And I think getting Al back and, uh, you know, probably getting a couple of guys in the draft and getting a couple of free agents, I think um, we'll be right back in the thick of things. And uh, hopefully nobody don't get hurt and uh, we can stay the number three seed or two seed or one seed mm -hmm. all the way to the playoffs and, uh, you know, get right back there where we was uh, this year. And I want to go back to that Pacers series for one moment. In game six, that building was electric. I mean, that, that was probably the, the, the most uh, – you rarely see a crowd in Atlanta that electric, that hype, that exciting. How was game six in terms of the fans? I was good, man. The fans, they was, they was the best. And I think they finally understand what, what uh, Atlanta House basketball are becoming about. 
And uh, I think that's the biggest thing is our fan. Once our fans get behind us, you know, it helps some of uh, the guys on the team really boost their game. And I think, man, that game right there was was electrifying. And I think, you know, um, we kind of let them down. So we kind of on this next season. You know, we, uh, hopefully they'll come back out and show the same support and we'll uh, win the game like we should. Last season, you started 73 games. Your minutes was up career high in minutes. You averaged 32 minutes a game, career high in points, 11 points per game, career high in rebounds, five points, five rebounds per game. Were you happy with your play in 2014? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was really happy. Um, I think it was, you know, I, I, I realized that, you know, I just needed the opportunity and needed a coach that believes in me and, and a general manager and Danny Ferry who believes in me to bring me in. Um, but, I, you know, I think the best is yet to come for Damari Carroll. Um, you know, I felt like a rookie all over again. You know, I had coaches teaching okay. me all kinds of things. And I think, you know, this summer, Coach Quinn Snyder, he's been a big influence for me. And we're going to spend the whole summer together. And I think the best is yet to come for me. What do you need to do in this all season to become a better player? What, what are you looking to improve on? What do you think you need to do to become a better player? I think me uh, – I want to always be the junkyard dog and be the, the blue-collar guy I am, you know. Um, but I think me, you know, really being becoming a, for sure, 30, 40% knockdown, three-point shooter, uh, you know, take my D up to another notch and uh, work on my ball handling and pick and rolls. And, you know, I just want to simplify things. I don't want to do things that that's not me, but I just want to get better at the things I can do. We're talking to Hawks forward Damari Carroll. Damari, I, I want to talk about the conference finals going on now, the Indiana Pacers, the Miami Heat, that series tied at one. Do you th- who, who wins that series in your mind, in your opinion? Who do you think is going to win that series? Uh, it's tough, man. I think Indiana, like we matched up good against Indiana. I think they match up pretty good against Miami. Uh, okay. You see Roy Hibbert being a way effective, the most he's been in the playoffs. But, you know, because um, Miami – you know, they, they run a different style than we do. So um, I think, man, it's up in the air, man. I think this this third and fourth game is going to be key. And uh Miami can take two at home, it's going to be real tough for Indiana to get back in things. And you talked about Roy Hibbert. And Roy Hibbert struggled against you guys in the regular season, struggled in that series against you guys, picked it up near the end of that series. But watching Roy Hibbert play in that series, did you think he lost his confidence? Uh, yeah, I think he lost his confidence, and I think, um, you know, you got to understand we shoot a lot of threes, and uh, it, he was kind of out of okay. his comfort zone, you know, playing right. Payroll Antique, you know, stepping out shooting threes, Paul Millsap stepping out shooting threes, and, and then getting switched on guys like Jeff Teague, and he just blowing right past you. It's, it's kind of hard for Roy, you know, being 7-3 uh, big like he is. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, Miami, they don't shoot as many as threes we do, so I think – you know, he kind of back in his comfort zone, you know, down there banging with you, done his has him, and, uh, you know, being Roy Hibbert. Is it fun playing in the system where you can shoot that many threes? Yeah, it is, actually. You know, once you uh, <laughs> learn how to shoot them and learn your sweet spots, it's kind of fun, man, because, you know, before coming to Atlanta, I really didn't shoot that many threes. I was mostly yeah. mid-range. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I can step out and shoot three, and Bud, Bud really helped me with my confidence with that. And it's funny because I'm looking at your numbers right now. 2012, I mean, you shot one three per game. 2013, pretty much the same numbers. And then you go to the Hawks, and now you're shooting three threes a game. So, you know, I mean, you guys are shooting a lot of threes in Atlanta, so it's definitely a fun system you guys play in. And 
I, I want to go to Spurs and, and OKC right now. Spurs are up 2-0. And just watching that series, do you see the difference of OKC without Ibaka? Is it big? Oh, yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, Ibaka, you know, he, he's a defensive guy mainly, but, you know, his offense goes unnoticed. And me being a defensive guy, I see how much he brings to that team and, you know, blocking shots and all those types of things. And, you know, the average fan don't really see that, but, you know, me, I see it and the coaches see it. He's, uh, he's key, man. You know, you can't get in the lane easy and just shoot layups like Tony Parker been doing. So I think he's real key. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can, uh, you know, probably they're going to have to change some things around, you know, to take uh, San Antonio out of their offense. Definitely. And I, I just at this point down 2-0 without a box, I just can't see OKC coming back. But, you know, they do have Durant, they do have Westbrook, so they do have some players. So we'll see. I mean, a lot of basketball definitely to be played. And I want to ask you this. You are known for your defense. And who's the toughest player to guard in the NBA for you? Uh, it's got to be um, probably Kevin Durant. Um, okay. He, he, he's pretty tough. Um but it's between him and uh, Carmelo. Carmelo, he's tough, too. You know, he's physical, one of those physical grind guys. But KD, he's really tough because, you know, he's 6'11", doing everything a six-footer would do. So um, it's kind of tough. And, you know, the ball always comes to him, and he always gets shots. So I always got to be prepared, and I always got to stay true to the defense. And, uh, you know, Coach sometimes get mad at me because he said I don't help a, help a lot. But, you know, when you got to guard <laughs> KD, it's kind of hard. We're talking to Hawks forward Damari Carroll. Damari, you have a basketball camp coming up in June. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, we've got a basketball camp in June in um, Columbia, Missouri. Um, it's called Next Level Basketball Camp. And, um, you know, I think it's really, 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 really good for a lot of fans and a lot of kids. A lot of fans are bringing their kids out. Uh, we're going to do a lot of one-on-one skills, things, and, uh, you know, help these kids, you know, grow. Because, you know, my belief is hard work is a talent. So, um, you know, I'm just going to teach them that, you know, you don't have to be the most talented uh, person on the court, but if you work the hardest, you know, your level of play will even out with that talented person. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's in June, so hopefully a lot of Mizzou people can come out. And then I think I got one in, in uh, July in Atlanta. So yep. um, I'm looking forward for it. In June, it's June 9th to the 13th in Columbia, Missouri, and also in July – July 16th through the 18th in Atlanta. So fans support some of the great things going on with Damari Carroll. What can fans find information about all the great things going on with Damari Carroll? Uh, can you log on my website, www.damaricarroll5.com. Um, you know, it's easy. You can go to the camps and look at everything. And, you know, it just tell you about my life, man, uh, my journey to the NBA and all the things that, that didn't happen to me. Fans. Again, support all the great things going on with Damari Carroll. Damari, I know you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, they can connect with me uh, too, Damari Carroll one. Um, you know, I always, you know, give fans feedback and let them know that I appreciate everything they do. So, you know, fans, um, shoot me a shoot me a tweet or a direct message, and I I hit you back at Damari Carroll one. Are you going to change that to, to Mari Carroll 5 at some point? Yeah, yeah. That's what we're working on right now. But, you know, I had one when I was at Missouri, so um, they want me to keep it at one because the Mizzou fans, 
you know, they go back okay. and forth with me being number one. Okay, okay, sounds good. Damari, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. All right, thank you, brother. Take care. Damari Carroll, the Atlanta Hawks, and, uh, and he said it, you know, and I believe this to be the case. I thought the Atlanta Hawks let one slip away in that series, but my key thing and my big thing was the experience, and that came down to experience. Indiana Pacers knew how to close out basketball games. They know how to do it. They've been there, done that. They've been there before. This is a team that's been to the conference finals. This is a team that's been together for a little bit now. So they know each other. They're a veteran team. They've had a taste of the playoffs. They know what it takes to win in these playoffs other than beating the Miami Heat in a seven-game series. But other than that, they know what it takes to win in these playoffs, and, and they put themselves in positions to win it, and they knew how to close out those ball games. I mean, up five with three minutes to go. I mean, that's a, that's a byproduct of a team knowing how to close out a basketball team, a basketball game, and, and that's that's what that's all about. And you saw from OK uh, from Indiana, you saw a team that knew how to close out a basketball game, and they closed out basketball games. And that was the difference. The Atlanta Hawks weren't at that point yet and are not at that point yet. But, again, again, if certain things happen, if, if certain things happen in this offseason, if, if Al Horford comes back healthy, guess what? Guess what? Things are looking up for the Atlanta Hawks. Things are looking up for Atlanta Hawks. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And, and you wonder now, you wonder now, where the Atlanta Hawks go from here. A lot of people think Atlanta Hawks can really turn this thing around. And, again, you look at when they had Al Horford, they were playing decent basketball. When he was out there, they were playing decent basketball. Obviously, after he goes down, your team takes a little bit of a step back. But ultimately, ultimately, you look at, the Atlanta Hawks, and they had a successful season, no matter how you slice it. They had a successful season. They had it. And you got to give them a lot of credit for that. Mark Cuban. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about him and his comments that he made this week. And, you know, you, you look at his comments and you look what he said and you know, he said that, you know, a lot of people come with their own prejudices. You know, a lot of people come with that. And, you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of people do come with, with, with various opinions, ideas, beliefs that, you know, are, are, are former forms of prejudice. I mean, the thing about it, and, and, you know, some people have criticized him for his comments, but the thing about his, his comments to me and how I view it is simple. You know, anytime you can have an open and honest communication and dialogue about the issue of race or any issue for that homosexuality, any issue for that matter, anytime you can have an open and honest dialogue about it, I think it's a beautiful and I think it's a great thing because the reality is the only way that you can break down barriers and break down walls is through communication. And this is how I feel. This is how you feel. Maybe you can bridge the gap. 
somewhere, somehow, by everybody expressing their opinions, but expressing their opinions in a civil way, in a civil manner, without any type of hate. And Mark Cuban, as far as I'm concerned, he brought that to the table. I, I, I thought it was just an open, honest, honest, candid conversation about the issue of race and some of his prejudices that he brings to the table. To me, I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing that, that people can can express themselves, express how they feel, talk about how they feel, and be honest and open about it. You know, and, and that's a good thing. And, and I think Mark Cuban is doing that. I think that's what he did. I, I think that's exactly what he did. And that's what he's doing. He's having you have an open and honest dialogue about the issue and the subject of race. It's a beautiful thing as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, and I know Stephen A. Smith and, and Michael Eric Dyson had a, had a long and nice discussion about this particular issue. And, you know, when I looked at and, and watched it, I, I thought both of them made some good points. I mean, Stephen A.'s point is, well, you know what the deal is. You know what the situation is in, in terms of race. You know that you you, you got to look a certain way and, and to be a certain, you know, in terms of your dress and how you conduct yourself because you are being judged on a different scale than, than, than uh than whites. I mean, blacks are judged on a different scale than whites as far as I'm concerned. So I, I, I got that as the crux of his argument, and, and from Michael Eric Dyson, he was saying, you know what, even though that is the case, you, do, you still need to change the perception of, of, you know, how we feel and how we look at African-American males. And in Mark Cuban's comments, he not only referenced a black man with a hoodie, but he also referenced a white guy with tattoos. So... I don't know if it was just to offset his comments. I don't know. I mean, but, you know, he, he did. Here's the thing. He was open. He was honest. And that's how you break down barriers. That's how you break down walls. That's how you break down barriers, and that's how you break down walls. And his was just here were his quotes. If I see a black kid in the hoodie and it's late at night, I'm walking to the other side of the street. If I'm on that side of the street and there's a white guy that has tattoos all over his and there's a guy that has tattoos all over his face, white guy, bald head, tattoos everywhere, I'm walking back to the other side of the street. To me, him ex- expressing that attitude, that sentiment, those beliefs is 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 I'm impressed with. I, I definitely am impressed with, and, and I think as far as I'm concerned, it's it's a great thing. It's definitely a great thing. So we'll, we'll see how this thing happens, what happens with this thing moving forward. And I, and I think, you know, it's interesting comments, especially with Donald Sterling in, in light of his comments and his beliefs and his thoughts about race. I mean, I, I think we, we need to have the dialogue. I think we need to have the discussion. I think we need to have the talk, and I think we need to be open and honest about our feelings, whether it comes to race, whether it comes to sexuality, whether it comes to all those things. I think we need to have open and honest dialogues about these things. I mean, Don Jones, you know, writes OMG and, you know, horrible, and he's suspended, and he's fine, and he's losing money. I mean, you know, he should be allowed to express that opinion. And as I said last week, guys should have an opportunity at the table to discuss how they feel without being shut down. And I think when it comes 
to discussion to the discussion of of sexuality, I think more often than not we're shutting guys down, we're shutting people down without giving them the opportunity to have an open and honest dialogue about how they feel about the, how they feel about the topic. And, and I think they should be given that opportunity to do just that. So, I mean, we'll see how this thing moves forward. I mean, and ultimately, to me, hopefully discussions like this that Mark Cuban is discussing and things of that nature can be had and that can be discussed, you know, moving forward. Because the bottom line and reality is, you know, this is this is 2014 and, and you know, a lot of opinions, beliefs, and ideas have changed. But let's be mindful that just because those things have changed doesn't mean that that people cannot still have those opinions and beliefs. And, and, you know, still also means that maybe those opinions and those beliefs can be discussed and talked about so progress can be made. We're a little late with this, but the second hour of Go For It starts right now. Welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, Tom. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. Second hour of Go For It, starting right now. And in this hour, we're expected to be joined by Agent Craig Doman. And we're going to get his take on the lawsuit that's out here by a few of the the ex-players in the NFL, against the NFL, in, in terms of paid medication. We're going to work and how it was administered to these guys during their career. We're going to talk to Craig about that, get his thoughts on that particular topic, get his thoughts on, on a, get an agent's take on what it's like to, to, what it's like to be a part of an NFL draft. And, and, you know, an NFL draft has changed so much over the years. The exposure, the, the amount of people watching, I mean, all these things have changed so much over the years. So much. And, you know, you wonder if this thing could get any bigger. You wonder. I mean, could this thing actually get any bigger than what it is? I mean, could it get bigger? I mean, those are the things that you wonder when you're talking 
about the NFL draft. But we're going to talk to Craig Dolman about all about those things and the you know get his thoughts on an agent perspective of the NFL draft. Going back now to the NBA. Bottom line is and OKC and 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 San Antonio. We'll get to that in a moment. I want to go to the draft lottery and the NFL NBA draft lottery. I mean, I, Cleveland. Come on, Cleveland keeps getting and getting and getting the number one pick. Three out of the last four years, Cleveland has gotten the number one pick. I mean, this is getting crazy. But here's the thing, personal story. I, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan, lifelong Philadelphia 76ers fan. I waited all year for this moment. This is, I mean, this was better than any game throughout the course of this season because I knew what the Sixers season was all about. It was stank and tank. It was a tanking situation. It was stanking and tanking. That's what it was all about. That's what it was about with the Philadelphia 76ers this season. And I was cool with that. I was okay with it. I'm happy with it. I'm fine with that. It's all good. But, but I wanted something good to come out of stanking and tanking. And the good that came out of stanking and tanking was the Philadelphia Sixers having a second-worst record in the NBA. But here's the thing. I waited all year long for this. And you know what happened? <laughs> Funny thing would happen. Funny thing happened. As I was waiting, preparing, looking forward to what I was going to see, guess what happens? My power goes out. Not my power, but my cable goes out. My cable and Internet go out. My cable goes out. It goes out. And the thing about it is, the thing about it is, I waited all year long for this. This was, 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 this was my, my NBA final. This was my playoffs. This is what I waited for, and my cable goes out. I did have internet connection with my phone, but my cable went out. But the thing about my phone, I was up against it in terms of the data. So... Since my data was a little high, and I don't, want, I don't want to pay any extra money, I'm cheap if you don't know, I don't want to pay any extra money, so I was screwed. And I waited all year long for this. May 20th was marked on my calendar. I marked that on my calendar. That was the moment that would change the fortunes of the Philadelphia 76ers. Cleveland got number one. Milwaukee got number two. And my Philadelphia 76ers got number three. So one, two, and three. Cleveland gets one. Milwaukee gets two. Philly gets three. And also my 76ers were also able to get the test pick, and that was because of the trade they made with New Orleans last, in last year's draft, which netted them New Orleans so well, and also netted them the 10th pick this season in the Drew Holiday trade. So, and, I mean, that was a great trade, by the way. I loved that trade. That was a great trade. Uh, I was so for that trade, and I loved it. I loved it. So you look at it. You look at it. I look at this whole situation, and, and I waited all, 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 all long, all year long for it. And the Sixers get three. But here's the thing. I, my, my thought coming into this draft, okay, you have a center in New Orleans, New Orleans Noel. So – 
I wanted either Wiggins or, or Parker. That was my thought. And I, and I think that's what may happen because I believe Embiid will go to Cleveland. I mean, you get a seven-footer, just the Cavaliers, they need size. I mean, Andrew Bynum was supposed to come in and anchor that middle position, that center position for them. He didn't do it, obviously. He can't stay healthy, as we've seen over the past two years. Again, let me remind you, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan. So I've seen this, and I know that story all too well. That Andrew Bynum thing, that just obviously rubs me the wrong way and very frustrating to even talk about, quite frankly, from a Philadelphia 76ers fan perspective. I mean, we were supposed to, and I'm glad to go on a rant, we were supposed to be a, a team that was going to contend possibly in the Eastern Conference. We were talking possibly second, third seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I remember I had I had Nick Young on when he was on the field up with the Philadelphia 76ers two years ago, and, and he was excited. You know, he was talking about thirds, possibly second seed with Andrew Bynum in the mix. I mean, everybody was excited in Philadelphia. It was our opportunity. We were going for it. We were going for it. And it didn't happen. It, 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 it didn't happen. And, and unfortunately now, unfortunately now, Unfortunately, now we're, we're a lottery team, and yeah, maybe fortunately, because ultimately they had to blow the whole thing up, and ultimately with blowing the whole thing up, they now are in position to turn this thing around and possibly become a contending team. So I'm excited. I'm I'm, I'm happy about it, you know, and and I hope the Sixers moving forward can be a dominant team in this league. But, you know, Cleveland obviously gets that number one pick, and that's big time for them. So now they have an opportunity to get their center. And a lot of people are saying, you know what, uh, will this finally be the last time that that Commissioner Adam Silver and the rest of the NBA, have they finally made it up to Cleveland that they lost LeBron James? I mean, a lot, a lot of people are saying that. And, and I'm not one for these conspiracy theories. You know, conspiracy theories, they bother me. You know, they bother me. I don't like talking about conspiracy theories. I don't like when people talk about the NBA in that manner. But, you know, Cleveland gets the third, the first-round pick three out of the last four years. I mean, this is this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. What, they had a 1%, one, 1% chance to get it? Cleveland actually tried to make the playoffs. I mean, they tried to win. And, you know, the beauty of this, I guess, if, from an NBA perspective, the two teams that, that – you know, you could say tried to tank it. The two teams that tried to tank, Milwaukee and Atlanta, not Milwaukee, Atlanta, Milwaukee and Philadelphia, well, those two teams did not get the number one pick. So the two teams that tried to tank did not get the number one pick. So things worked out. Things worked out for the NBA. A lot of people are getting on the NBA in terms of tanking, teams tanking, and that whole situation, and what the NBA can do about it. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just the way to say I mean, the NBA is a star-driven league. So if if you don't have a star, I mean, last team to win an NBA title without a star is the 2004 Detroit Pistons. Now, you can put together a team like the Detroit Pistons. You can do it. It's possible. I mean, they had a collection of very, very good players. No superstars, you know, no superstars. I mean, Ben Wallace is a defensive machine, a rebounding machine. Rashid Wallace, a solid player, uh, had star-like abilities. Chauncey Billups, big-time clutch shooter. Rip Hamilton, solid 
two guard, but you didn't have star. You didn't have stars, but you had depth, and you had a, you had a team put together by Joe Dumars that played like a team. They played like a team, and, and, and they got it done. They got it done. And so in the NBA, other than that, you look at, I mean, Duncan and, and the San Antonio Spurs. You got LeBron and the Miami Heat. OKC, you got KD and Serge Ibaka and Russell Westbrook. And in Indiana, you have Paul George. So teams, and I don't think Paul George is a superstar at this point, but he's a star, and they have a team around him. But the point I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to make is that in this NBA, you need stars. And one of the ways to get stars is either through free agency, and that's difficult because a lot of these guys want to go to big market teams, so it's not always easy to get a superstar. So it's either that or it's through the draft. And the draft, it's much easier to, to get a player through the draft or at least try to get a superstar through the draft than it is in free agency, especially for some teams. So teams have to do what they have to do. It's rebuilding. You've got to rebuild sometimes in this league. And the Bucks are rebuilding. The Sixers are rebuilding. It's just the nature of the beast, the nature of the situation. So, I mean, as a Sixers fan, I was okay with tanking. And, you know, they're building something. As long as you're building something, that's what the Sixers are doing. Sam Hinkie and the rest of those boys down there in Philadelphia, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you, Michael Carter-Williams. Seemingly you have a point guard of the future. Nerlens Noel, we'll see what he can be. But seemingly you may have a center for the future. So, I mean, all is well in the land of the brother in Philly. And, and even though they didn't get the number one pick, I still believe that they're putting themselves in position, especially having a third pick and a tenth pick, to ultimately be successful moving forward. And, Standing NBA, Kevin Love. I mean, obviously, Kevin Love it wants to move from the Timberwolves, from the T-Wolves. And you, you wonder now how that's going to work. I mean, what are what is Minnesota going to do in terms of Kevin Love? Are they going to move him? I mean, I, I don't think they really don't have a choice at this point in time because what do you, what is, what's your other option? I mean, he's going to walk. You can't let him walk for free. You can't let him walk for nothing. So with that being said, you have to either get some value for him or, or see if you can change his mind, see if you can re-sign him. So that's going to lead to a trade. That's going to be a trade. So you wonder where and who will get the services of Kevin Love. Obviously, you know, he's a West Coast guy. So you would think the Lakers would have some some an opportunity. You know, you would think, Golden State maybe would have an opportunity. You would think anybody out west, maybe Portland. I know he's, a, I believe he's from Portland, but he's from Oregon. So you know, you would have an opportunity there. And you, but you already have your power forward, so Kevin Love's probably not what you're looking for. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I believe he's going to stay out west, and maybe the Knicks. I mean, New York, Phil Jackson. He's looking for a, another player to match, match up with Carmelo Anthony. But what do the Knicks have to offer, if anything, that Minnesota will want? I mean, maybe the Philadelphia 76ers can put together a package 
for Kevin Love. I mean, if you're Philadelphia, would you give up a three and a ten and somebody else, a player, for Kevin Love, to get Kevin Love? A player or two to get Kevin Love, would you do that? I mean, or if you're Philadelphia, do you do number ten and maybe a player or two? I don't know. I don't know. But Kevin Love obviously can change the fortunes of a franchise. Twenty six and thirteen. You're not there's not many players in this league that average twenty six points and thirteen rebounds. There's not a lot of players in this league can do and what Kevin Durant can do. Not a lot of players can do that. I mean a lot of, not a lot of players can rebound the way Kevin Durant Kevin Love can. Not a lot of players can score the way Kevin Love can. One of the things about Kevin Love though is his issues with his health. You know, he definitely he definitely has to stay healthy. He definitely has to stay healthy. And he had an issue staying healthy last season with the T Wolves and the year before he had some issues staying healthy. So his health I think is an important thing moving forward. But I mean we'll see what happens. We'll definitely see what happens. But he obviously he obviously when it's all said and done, maybe he sticks in Minnesota for parts of the season, but he's not gonna stay in Minnesota for the whole season. If he does, the reality is he's not coming back to Minnesota. So we'll see how the T-Wolves handle that moving forward. Donald Sterling, I mean, we, we've heard this story over and over again, but it seems like there's a possibility this could end uh, a lot easier a lot easier than we thought it could, and that we thought it would. I mean, he has agreed at this point, according to some sources, that to allow Shelly to negotiate, who was his wife, Shelly Starling, to negotiate the terms of the sale and to sell the team. And here's the thing. Here's the big hit that he may take. He may take a hit of 320. If, if he sells, let's say hypothetically, and you look at how other teams have sold, Milwaukee sold for about 550, and Milwaukee's a small market. So you figure L.A., might, you might get double that, especially with the way the Clippers are playing you might get double that. You could get a billion. But if he does get a billion, let's say he gets a billion, he'd have to pay 20% in capital gains tax. And he'd have to pay 13% California tax. So that's 33.3% in taxes, which equates to $328.5 million. $328.5 million is what he would have to come up, come up off in terms of taxes. That's what he would have to pay in terms of taxes. $328 million in taxes. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, you know, even for a billionaire, that's a lot of money. $328 million. A lot of money. Wow. I know one of the things people were saying that he might be better off if he just died, and then the tax hit wouldn't be as bad, obviously. You don't want to see any man or wish any man death. So, I mean, you wonder how this... I thought it was going to be a long, dragged-out situation, but I'm glad that, you know, they're doing it this way, according to... We'll see what if it actually comes off this way. But I'm glad they're doing it this way because I'm hoping that ultimately this can be, you know, end peacefully. They can have a peaceful resolution to this and ultimately down Sterling and go on with his life the Sterling family can go on with their lives, and the NBA can go on with their lives and, and go on with business as usual. Because you, I mean, during the playoffs, 
this is the playoffs, man, and we're we're talking about we're talking about Donald Sterling. We're talking about off the court stuff. I want to be talking about on the court stuff. I, I want to be talking about uh, what's happening in the Miami Pacers series. I want to talk about OKC and San Antonio. I don't want to talk about Donald Sterling. Who cares about Donald Sterling? I don't want to talk about that. But anyway, we'll see how this situation works itself out. And I think, you know, maybe and hopefully, and just based off the way things are going, we may get a peaceful resolution to this. And you wonder who the next owner of the L.A. Clippers will be. You wonder, will it be Magic Johnson? Will it be, um, who else could it be? I mean, would it be Oprah? David Geffen, who knows? Who knows what it's going to be? But regardless, I think it's an upgrade from Donald Sterling. I mean, I think any ownership is an upgrade from Donald Sterling. I really do. Switching gears now, Ray Rice. He had an apology yesterday. He made an apology at a press conference with his wife, who was then his fiance at the time when he was arrested back in February for an altercation in Atlantic City, and we saw the video of him dragging his then-fiancé out of the elevator and things of that nature. We've seen the video. Well, Ray Rice said yesterday, quote, he failed miserably, and he's working to get his way back up, working his way back up, as he said. And, you know, you wonder, I mean, they got married, what, a few months after that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about the whole situation. I said when this whole thing initially happened, that nothing would come of it. Ray Rice wouldn't go to jail. This, they would work it out. I didn't expect him to get married, but I would say they would work it out, and business would be as usual. That's what I said at the time, and I'm right. Business is basically as usual with the couple. Actually, they upped it. They one-upped they won it, and they got married. So, you know, all is well, all is happy in the Ray Rice family and in the Rice household. And here's the thing. I wish them all the best. I hope that Ray Rice has truly learned from this. I hope his fiance has learned from it. I mean, apparently she was intoxicated as well when this altercation took place, and apparently she did do some hitting on him as well. So it doesn't make it right. Obviously, as a man, you have to walk away. But it's not always that easy. But as a man, you do have to walk away. And so with that being said, you know, you have that whole situation, and you hope Ray Rice learns from it. You hope Ray Rice can and will uh, be able moving forward to to get past this and, and ultimately learn from it and may bring their relationship closer, may make their relationship stronger. Sometimes through the midst of turmoil, through the midst of struggle, through the midst of problems and strife in your life and your relationships, it draws people close, closer. It draws people together. And maybe it will do that for Ray Rice and his wife, Janae Rice. Maybe it will do that for the Rices. I don't know. I don't know. But, again, he's going to go into a diversion program. And once that's done, if he goes through it and does the right thing, well, the Chargers will be expunged. And and Ray Rice talked about his father-in-law, his now father-in-law, and what he's meant to him in his life. And so Ray Rice is saying that his father-in-law had a big uh, part of his life, and his father-in-law has forgiven him. And I, I guess everybody has forgiven Ray Rice. We'll see. If he does get or serve some kind of suspension from the league, we'll see if the league comes down on him. But I hope if the league comes down on him, they better come down on Jim Irsay. They better come down on Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay has to get something. 
I mean, he's been charged with two misdemeanors at this point. He's got to get something. He's got to get something. He's got to get something. I mean, you know, you have all those pills in his car and, you know, he's found with $29,000 worth of cash, numerous bottles of prescription drugs in his car. I mean, I, I hope, I hope that, you know, something happens with him in terms of some kind of suspension, some kind of something. He, you can't, it can't be a double standard. If, if anything, ownership and coaches should be held to a higher standard because they are, the, if you were the leaders of franchises, the leaders and the head of the team. They run the team. The coaches coach the team and the owners run the team. So those two entities should be held at a high standard. And so with that being said, I hope the punishment is rough. I hope the punishment is tough. And I hope the punishment is hard when it comes to Ray Rice. I mean, not Ray Rice. When it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, Jim Irsay, I really do. Because again, again, if you're going to hold players to a certain standard, you got to hold hold ownership and coaches to even a higher standard, to an even higher standard, as far as I'm concerned. But we'll see what happens. We'll see how the league handles this. We'll see how the league handles these two situations. And from what I'm hearing, the Players Association is watching this closely, as they should. They should be watching this very closely. And so we'll see if there's a double standard in the NFL. We'll see. Because he should be held to the same level of the players in terms of his conduct and how he conducts himself. No, his, his, the standard should be even higher when it comes to the ownership and coaches in the National Football League. We'll see how this thing works out. I mean, obviously, he's going to get something. There's no way he can walk away without something. No way. He's going to get something. And we'll see how and what that something is. I said we would go back to the OKC and and San Antonio series, and I'm going back to it right now. Um, you know, the talk of Serge Ibaka possibly coming back for game three. Reality is, what is he going to be if he does come back, whether it's game three or four? or What is he going to be? And if you're an OKC fan, you're hoping to get the five. You're hoping to get the five after those first two games. Because the reality is, this is a much different team than, than the James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant team that we saw back in 2012, a much different team. It's a different team, team that doesn't have the same type of firepower. OKC is Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. That's it. That's all they have in terms of being able to score the basketball. Those two, that's all they have. That's all they have. Oh, that's all they have. That's That's it. I mean, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. That's it. That's all who stepped up. Other guys need to come to the table. Other guys need to step it up if OKC wants to make this a series. If they don't, this could be a sweep. This could be a sweep if players don't step up for OKC. I mean, Reggie Jackson was decent in game one, and Derek Fisher was decent in game one. But everybody else, I mean, you look at the starting lineup. Here, look at the box score 
for a starting lineup of Oklahoma City in game one. Nick Carlson, 0 for 3, 0 points. Durant, 28 points. Westbrook, 25 points. Perkins, 5 points. Cephalosha, nothing. Nothing. But you got production off your bench. Reggie Jackson, Derek Fisher. But the key number, you get nothing from your starters. And also a key number, the 122 points scored. 122 points scored by the San Antonio Spurs. And then you go to game number two, and that wasn't even close. You know why it wasn't close? Westbrook and Durant came up small. Westbrook, 7 for 24, only 15 points. Durant, 6 for 16, only 15 points. Only other guy who scored in double figures for you in that game was Jeremy Lamb. And that was in garbage time. That was in garbage time. So the point I'm trying to make is, as you watch this series, you're saying to yourself, OKC just does not have enough. OKC just does not have enough. And because they don't have enough, because they don't have enough, you see it. I mean, the, the struggle is obvious. The struggle is real. And you see the struggle. Durant and Westbrook, as I said last week, they have to be bigger than what they already have, are. They, they got to be bigger. Bigger. And you knew OKC was going to miss something on the defensive end. And you see it. You see it. I mean, 122-112. Those were the points that the San Antonio Spurs have scored in the first two games. Those were points. So, with that being said, you know, obviously, obviously, San Antonio is able to get to the basket and finish around the basket at will. It's it's too easy. It's too easy. I mean, Spurs are averaging 117 points in two games over the first two games. You let a team average 117 points against you in a series, you're going to have a difficult time winning. You're going to have a difficult time beating that team if you're giving up, on average, 117 points over the first two games. It's not you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. I don't think they can turn this around. We'll see if they will. Serge Ibaka on the court, off the court. I don't know what his health is going to be. And if his health isn't right, then I, I don't know. You know, what is he going to offer? If he's a shell of himself, what's he going to offer? Is it going to be Willis Reed like? I mean, Willis Reed. A lot of people forget this, but he only hit two baskets. So it's more of an emotional lift. Maybe Serge can give OKC an emotional lift, but that's only one game. What are you going to do for the rest of the series? After the emotional lift has gone away, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for the rest of the series? I just think OKC is going to go home. And I think it's unfortunate because, again, over the past two seasons, Westbrook goes out last year, Ibaka goes out this year. You trade James Harden, 
I don't like the trade. I thought you should have kept him and tried to go for it and see, what's ha- see what happens. Maybe you can convince him. Maybe you can talk him into taking less money to stay with the winning situation. Maybe. Because if you win a title in 2012, and maybe you don't even because Westbrook goes down, but who knows? Maybe Harden steps up and he keeps the train moving. So who knows? And we saw what Harden was in Houston. So obviously he has the ability to keep the train moving. He could have kept the train moving for OKC. He has the ability. We've seen the ability. We've seen it in Houston. We see what he can do. We've seen it. So maybe, just maybe, maybe they could have kept it moving with Harden last season. But the bottom line is this, and and I think this is uh, a cautionary tale for everybody. From this standpoint, you look at the Washington Nationals two seasons ago. Well, they decided to sit down one of their better pitchers than Steven Strasburg. Well, with the thought that maybe, okay, we set Steven Strasburg down, and, and you know, he, he's coming off an injury. Let's just be safe with it. And to me, that's taking winning for granted, as far as I'm concerned, because you never know when you'll win again. And guess what? They probably could have used the services of Steven Strasburg. And guess what? If they had the services of Steven Strasburg, maybe they make it to the World Series, and then who knows what could happen. Maybe. Maybe. But the bottom line is this. When you have an opportunity, and I think this is something for all of us to think about in life, when you have an opportunity to win or have an opportunity to do something, take advantage of it, go after it, go after it hard and heavy, and make sure you get it done. Make sure you do. Make sure. We're going to bring in a guy now who's uh, been an agent for, for 24 years. 24 years in this business, long time, long time, 24 years in sports as an agent, very long time. All right, let's bring him in now, Agent Craig Doman. Craig, how are you? I am doing great today. How are you doing, Paul? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Craig, you've been an agent for a long time now, 24 years to be exact. You have a lawsuit out now again by former players, led by former players Richard Dent and Jim McMahon, who allege they were given painkillers illegally by the NFL, by team doctors. Your thoughts on this lawsuit? Holy cow, Paul. Why don't you team me up with a, with a hard one to start out with, huh? <laughs> Holy cow. Well, here's the thing. Um, NFL players, while they're playing, have to do whatever it takes to put themselves in a position to play on Sunday. You know, their their living is, is paramount to actually being able to play. So some of these guys from time to time have done whatever it takes to put themselves in a position to play. But I think that, you know, years later is when we find out that maybe they shouldn't have done certain things or maybe not have used certain painkillers and things like that. So, you know, I really, I really don't want to take a position as far as whether I, you right. know, and on the NFL side or the player side, I think that, you know, being an agent, I'm always for the advocating the players' rights and the players' protections. But at the same time, you know, you got to understand that these guys did what they did because they had to play, to continue right. to play in the league. Craig, obviously the draft is a hectic time for players and teams alike. And obviously it's a hectic time for agents. Give us an agent's perspective of those three days. 
Well, a very, very um, exciting and nerve-wracking all rolled into one, you know, because these young men are sitting by their phones waiting for a phone call, you know, besides the 30 or so guys that go to the green room in Radio City, yet the rest of the, the guys are just sitting there waiting, and they're going to get a phone call, and some coach, scout, GM is going to say, hey, how would you like to be a bingo or bear or whatever team it is? And instantaneously, this young man finds out where he's going to live, who he's going to play for, about what he's going to make depending on where he gets drafted. And it has got to be one of the most surreal situations you, you could ever be in because most kids getting out of college, if they want to live in Chicago, they go interview in Chicago. If they want to live in L.A., they do that as well. They get to choose, and these players don't. So that whole element of it is something that I think is underscored by uh, the whole process because these players are relocating, um, moving on with their life, starting their first job, and uh, a very exciting opportunity for them. Now, at what point do you wind out? At what point do you get rest, especially with the, the process being much longer this year? Well, I think the thing about the agent industry is that really you don't get a lot of time to rest. You just okay. change from different seasons. And so sometimes you're recruiting, sometimes you're you're helping guys that are dealing with injuries during the season, and you're helping guys make the team during training camp, and you're helping the rookies now on board and, and understand what they got to do to be successful as a pro. And then all this spring you're dealing with how do you position your guy uh, to, to maximize his draft status. So it's just a different season depending on the time of the year. Now, the draft has changed so much since you stepped on the scene back in 1990. The days have changed. The amount of people watching it has changed. But in your mind, what has been the biggest change in terms of the NFL draft for you? Well, I think the biggest change is the, all the things that take place leading up to the draft. You know, whether it's okay. you know, the, the strategy dealing with the senior bowl, what did, you know, do you run, do you not at the combine, uh, getting the, the training and getting guys ready for all these evaluation events, um, the pre-draft visits, trying to just trying to help your guy understand, you know, what's really going on when these teams are calling you and these scouts are sometimes taking them out to dinner and, you know, people are, are they're, they're, there's just so much media information. Trying to help the player have a peace of mind about the whole process so they can understand what to expect. That's what's changed the most. We're talking to agent Craig Doman and Craig, Obviously, as we said, the draft is very, very big. Do you see this draft? Do you see this draft thing getting bigger? Can it get any bigger than this? Well, Roger Goodell's done a heck of a job, you know, given the creating the creating a huge event out of the draft and going to three days and and, and everything that's that we're where we're at today. I, I don't know if it can get any bigger. I think um, if there is a way. You know, the commissioner will figure it out. But I think the thing that you still got to, for me, from my perspective and for my clients, what it's really about is just giving these young men the best advice, the best training so that they can maximize the results on drafting things and then help them understand that the draft is very similar to graduation. Like when you graduate, you have a commencement exercise in high school or college. It's just the beginning. The word commencement means beginning. Most people think it means end. 
the draft, most people think it means in. Hey, you're a first-rounder. It's really the same. It's the beginning. So one of the things that, that we start doing about six weeks out from the draft is helping these guys understand what it's going to take to be a successful pro once you get drafted. Now, looking at the draft now, Craig, the draft obviously was moved back a couple weeks this year into May. Usually it's in April. Would you like the draft to remain in May, or would you like it to go back to April? My preference would be for it to go back to April for a couple reasons. Number one, it, there's too much time for evaluation for the teams, and it's you know, almost paralysis by analysis. There isn't anything that they're learning about the players by having two extra weeks. Okay? And then the second reason I'd like to move it back to April is because it gives the young man, the rookie, a better opportunity to get up to speed during OTAs. So effectively what we're doing is we're kind of moving back the learning curve, the starting point for these guys to, to get caught up to them is better. And so for those two reasons, I'd rather see it move, move back to where it was before. We're talking to agent Craig Doman. And, Craig, you play football at the University of Kansas. Talk about that. How does that help you in terms of recruiting players? Well, I think the thing that's helped me the most in recruiting players is I've got two sons that are play high school football. I'm a volunteer high school football coach as well. We won the state championship this year in Colorado in 4A. And going to rivals camps and things like that the last couple of years, I see how much parents pour into their sons and helping them get scholarships and be successful in college. And, you know, that once they get to college, not all of them, you know, play and not all of them um, are going to be starters or, or NFL prospects. But when they get to that time, it's really a time for the agent to kind of take over for the parents because the parents are out of gas, you know, out of funds, out of all that stuff because they've been doing this for five or six years, helping their son get to the point where he's at. Who was Craig Doman, the football player? Who was that guy? Oh, man. Craig Doman, the football player, I was a I, – I played a long, long time ago. And the the level of the level of IQ that the kids have that I coach today is so much higher than I have, and you know it's just it's, it's the 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 personal training, the advanced coaching, the off season um, preparation and workout is so much more enhanced than it was when I played. But I I I was kid my I have a son that's a quarterback and I played quarterback. You know he he's played in more games. You know by the time he was 15 that I played in my whole career. just because they don't have, we didn't have football like they do today. So the thing that I love about football today compared to when I played is that young men get an opportunity to develop at a little bit younger age and develop their IQ and really learn the game. Um, and I think this is going to sound nuts, but I think, you know, uh, Madden was before my time. But the young men that, that play Madden today, they really do learn the game. I learned coverages. Right. Uh, I learned true. route concepts. You know what I mean? So. It's true. Very true. As we said, you've been in the game 24 years. Who has been your favorite player to represent? Do you, do you have a favorite? I don't have a favorite, but I've had some really good guys. I mean, Mike Minner with Carolina Panthers is now uh, the head, head football coach at Campbell in North Carolina. Well, just a great guy to, to represent. Um, I recently retired um, 
Ryan Moser from the Kansas City Chiefs and Indianapolis Colts was just a great success story coming out of Kansas State and playing 10 years. You know, Alfonso Boone played for the Bears and the Chiefs and the Chargers, and he was a he was drafted in the seventh round out of a junior college in California. So, you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed over the years is developing relationships with these guys and seeing them grow up into men um, from when they were in college and, and have families and build some financial security and use the NFL as a platform to springboard them to something successful after football. And how, how important is that for you? I mean, because you see a lot of times with, with players, the numbers say five years after retirement, a lot of these guys have financial issues. How important is it to instill and, and give the players financial literacy? I think more than anything, it's, it's, it, it's disheartening that, you know, 78% or whatever the percentage is of the players are addicted, divorced, or bank, bankrupt within a couple of years after this playing in the league. Um, but I, I think what the most, the root cause of that and the way to, to, to move in a positive direction from that is helping them make life decisions. And it's, it's, it's really not even about money. It's their decision-making about their money that causes them to go broke. Or if they get divorced, they lose half the money right there. So I think, you know, these young men, when they're in high school and college, they're pampered a little bit because they're elite athletes. And the universities wanted to, you know, stay on track, so they have so many resources and and people on on campus that help these young men, whether it's tutoring or, you know, you name it. You pick the category in college, there's somebody there to help. And then when they get to the pros, that support system is it's greatly diminished. There's still a player programs guy. There's still people in the organization that look out for these young guys, but it's not. They don't have the they don't have the close contact that they had in college. So. Our job as agents is to help them learn what it means to be a man, what it learns, what it means to be, to make good life decisions, create, do make decisions that are going to open up doors, not close doors, so that right. they do have good relationships with the girls, they do have money in the bank when they're done. Now, Craig, over the years, as we said, you represented a lot of players, and in 1999, you represented Demetrius Underwood, a guy who had a lot of mental issues and played in only 19 games in the NFL. Was that one of the strangest situations you've dealt with as an agent? Absolutely. Absolutely. Demetrius Underwood was one of the most talented, you know, athletes I, I've represented. You know, he's an imposing, you know, intimidating young man because he was, you know, 6'7", 6'8", 275, and, and looks from the trim like a power forward in the NBA. But, you know, and he had twin daughters in college, and the thing with Demetrius was, he truly had a mental issue. And it became apparent to me, you know, after the draft, but I, I couldn't get my arms around it because I just I'd never represented somebody like that before. Right. But Demetrius was very challenging. It was, it was disheartening because he gave up money and gave up opportunity and, made, you know, made some decisions that were not with the right mind. And uh, we've been um, – we've represented a few other players that have been similar to that but not to that degree. And it's, you know, it's, it's a tragedy that these young men that happen to, to have, happen to be bipolar just struggle with daily, daily things, let alone trying to play in the NFL. Have you spoken to Demetrius Underwood at all over the years? Um, you know what? Not since about – I actually haven't. Um, when he 
uh, became, when he's been hospitalized from time to time, he kind of went off the grid. Okay. Okay. Now, Craig, 24 years at his age, and as we said, how long are you planning on doing this? Well, I started when I was 15, so I'm only 39. <laughs> okay. So I plan on doing it for a long time. I love, I love what I do. I love the relationships that I get to develop with young men. Um, the wisdom that I've gained from, from doing this for over two decades is invaluable in helping me give good advice to my new clients. Um, after you've done this for a long time and you've um, seen the beginning, the success in the middle, and then the, the back nine of guys' careers, and then seeing them make a transition to life after football, you, you see the things that guys need to do to do the right thing. And you see, the, right. you, you see mistakes guys have made. So it helps. It really puts you in a great position to help young guys make good decisions all the way through. Let me ask you this. As we said, you've been in this game for a while. At what point did you say during your career as an agent that you finally get it, that you're at the top of your game? Boy, I don't know if I've ever hit that point. I would say that, you know, after about 15 years in the business, I felt like I had seen about everything you could see. And I think that's still true today, that there really, you know, there really isn't anything new. It's really just different people um, going through some of the same decisions and, and opportunities that guys that have received and have gone through. Now, Craig, where can fans find information about some of the great things going on with Doman and Pittman? Well, every agent has a website. We have a website, dp-football.com, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, – young men that are, are coming out of college over the next few years that are going to be going through this process, looking for an agent, um, going through the draft. You know, I'll just put it out there that, you know, they need to find somebody they trust, find somebody that's a good fit for them, find somebody that shares the understanding of what they want to accomplish. Every young man has a little – everybody's got the same dream, but they've got different specifics to the dream. So I think the better – an agent understands what a guy really wants out of the league and help him best represent that player. So when guys are looking for agents, find that guy out there that kind of fits what you're looking for. Sounds good. Craig, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. You got it, Paul. You have a great night. Craig Doman, agent, Amazon agent. <clears throat> agent for a long time, 24 years for Craig Doman, and uh, pleasure talking to him, wishing nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Uh, a couple of things before we get out of here, about to get up out of here in a few minutes. Um, I want to look at uh, the Seattle Seahawks yesterday. Uh, they drafted a guy in the sixth round, an interesting story, drafted an offensive lineman, Garrett Scott. Uh, and, you know, this guy I came out of Marshall, uh, pre-draft medical exams, he gets through that with no problems, and then Seahawks draft him in the sixth round. They they signed him all. They draft him in the sixth round, and they they give him another physical, and they discover a heart condition. So they knew about the heart condition, and they knew the, about the heart condition before they decided to sign him to a contract. So they signed him to a contract for five hundred and fifty thousand. 
even though he has a heart condition, even though he can't pass an NFL physical. So essentially, they ultimately waived him, but they did give him $550,000, and he will be able, and then he will receive his first year salary and signing bonus of $550,000, even though he has a rare heart condition, even though he won't be able to play. I mean, to me, that's a beautiful thing, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's that's a great thing. I mean, you, you talk about a guy whose NFL dream was was basically snatched away from him, and now now you have a guy who's going to be able to walk away with five hundred fifty grand, and and be able to to think about his future and what he needs to do with his future and about his future moving forward. Think about what he needs to do as a as a player moving forward. Whether he's going to be a player, whether he's going to be something else. I mean, the Seahawks didn't have to do it. They did not have to give this guy 550000 his first year's salary. They didn't have to do it. They decided to do it. They wanted to do it. I mean, that's, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. And, and kudos to the Seahawks organization for doing such a thing. I mean, kudos to them for that. I mean, it's definitely something they did not have to do. Something they did not have to do, but something they decided to do. And kudos to Seahawk organization. It looks like Prince Fielder will probably be out for the season with a herniated uh, disc in his neck. I mean, uh, this. if you're if you're the the Texas Rangers, you got to be sick right now. You got to be sick right now. Absolutely sick. A guy that makes a lot of money, a guy you gave up Ian Kinsler for, I mean, it's crazy. Crazy. I mean, you owe a lot of money to this man, 138 mil. You owe a lot of money to this man. You know, so it's an unfortunate situation. It's an unfortunate situation. The thing about it is, I mean, you give up all this for him, and and now a guy who was your big-time acquisition in the offseason, and now you have nothing to show for getting rid of Ann Kinsler and and nothing to show for that big salary. That's rough. That's rough. And this is not a career-threatening injury. In the rehab process, is four months. But again, he is 30. And, you know, it doesn't seem like to be in the, the best of shape. I mean, you look at Prince Joe Fielder, he never seemed like he was in the best of shape. But he, was, he obviously carried his weight well. He carried his weight well. But unfortunately now for the Texas Rangers, that big bat that you had in your lineup, in the middle of your lineup, probably is gone. For the rest of the season, I want to thank Atlanta Hawks forward Damari Carroll for stopping by. Make sure you go to his website, damaricarroll5.com, and support all the great things going on with Damari Carroll. Also, want to thank the newest member of the College Football Hall of Fame, the newest inductee into the College Football Hall of Fame, Willie Rowe, for stopping by. Always great to have Willie on the show, and kudos to Willie. Congratulations to Willie. Also want to thank Agent Craig Dolman for stopping by and again support 
some of the great things that Doman and Pittman. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan, or you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow this show on Twitter at GoForItGant, and that is G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Follow us there. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash GoForItGant. Hope everybody has a great Memorial Day weekend. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope to see you next week. See you later. Take care.